Well, as was mentioned, we are embarking upon 2018, and 2017 has wrapped up, and I spent a little time just reflecting on 2017, and it was quite a year from a uh, big-picture standpoint here in North America in particular, because a number of people had some things revealed about them that they did not want to have revealed about them. We had people in politics, and we had people in media, and we had TV stars and movie stars who uh, all of a sudden, some of the things that they had hidden for a long time became clear to the rest of society, and um, it was embarrassing for them, as it should be in those situations. When our conduct is not good within our character, then we should be called upon how we're conducting our lives. And some of our leaders in media and uh, politics and things like that were caught up on that. And it unraveled before our very eyes as a culture the disconnect between character and what was going on in their public lives. Now, as you listen to some of our leaders be interviewed as we moved into the end of 2017 and 2018, they thought that this possibly could be the change that is needed. And that's a good thing. They thought about the possibility of seeing things done differently and that idea that, hey, we can't hide things in the past the way we did. If you're doing it, it's going to become public knowledge and that's the way it should be. And it causes us to reflect on how we live our lives. Well, as I thought about that, I thought about the time in which Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And as he unpacked this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting to me that he was actually addressing some of these character issues himself. And so even though 2,000 years of time has come and gone, the issue of character still continues to be something that we should talk about, discuss, and examine in our own hearts and lives. And so Jesus did just that. He brought it to the forefront of what was going on. And so what was happening? Well, Rome was in charge. We know that. So Rome had two major things. They had power and they had authority. And so if you were part of society, you didn't have that unless you were in part of Rome's uh, structure. And so for the Jewish people at that point in time, what did they have? Well, the religious leaders, what they really wanted was to have their status very much recognized within their society. And so they did things that we're going to read about and and, uh, discuss a little bit this morning of, of getting to be recognized by virtue of how they prayed or maybe they gave money or whatever the case may be. And and Jesus said, "I, I don't want you to do that. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But I thought, you know, status has always been something that we as human beings kind of like. And it was... I was reminded of that just this past uh, few weeks ago when on December the 23rd, my wife and I had a chance to get on a flight and we were going to go to Saskatoon to spend Christmas with a couple of our kids. And so as we boarded the plane, the flight attendant came over and she looked me right in the eye and she said, "Uh, Mr. Wilson, I noticed on our flight manifest that you're one of our gold members. And so if there's anything I can do for you during this flight, please let me know, buzz the button and I will come and I will get whatever it is you need. And I said, well, thank you. And she left. My wife was sitting right beside me, and she looked at me, and she said, what am I, chopped liver? (laughs) And I said, well, you're obviously not a gold member, honey. (laughs) And so I kind of like that, to be honest with you. I like being recognized. I like when they came over in a, a plane full of people, and they talked directly to me to tell me I could have whatever, I don't know, cookies and coffee is about all that they can offer you. So it sounds a whole lot better than what it actually is. But I still liked it. 
Who notices is the question that we're asking. Who's watching? Who knows me? These are questions that you don't necessarily want to ask in polite company, but in our hearts sometimes that can actually drive how we're living. Who's noticing? Who's watching? Does someone recognize me? The reputation, the status, that kind of stuff. Well, when we unpack this portion of the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we're going to see Jesus address this. And, and as I was reading through and studying about this, the, um, John Stott, who's not with us anymore, is an Anglican minister, and, and he wrote this, and I want to read it to you because it talks directly about the Sermon on the Mount. And I quote, The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best-known part of the teaching of Jesus. Although arguably it is the least understood, and it is certainly the least obeyed. Fascinating. So it is the best known, least understood, and least obeyed. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to turn, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we want to uh, read through a few verses, and then we're going to unpack them and just see what God has for us this morning. So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at three different sections of this portion of the sermon. Now keep in mind, chapter 5, 6, and 7 is all part of one sermon that Jesus is doing with a bunch of people that have gathered around to listen to him teach. We're just looking at one small section of a bigger part of the sermon, okay? So Matthew 6 is where we pick up in the middle, it would be, of what Jesus' sermon was all about. Matthew 6, starting at verse 1, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me break it down into three different sections that I think is part of the sermon that Jesus has here. Verses 1 through to 4 in chapter 6, what I've titled it here is that when you give to the needy, it's no show. When you give to the needy, no show. And he makes it very clear in verses uh, 1, 2, and on from that. I I call this the practice of generous anonymity. The practice of generous anonymity. 
And so he says, um, don't practice this the way uh, others have done because they want everyone to be seen. They want to be seen by them. He says, and you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So verse 2, when you give, interesting phrasing. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say if or that we should. He assumes it, actually. He says, when you give to the needy. Sound no trumpet before you and make no big noise about it. Don't make it all about you, but rather just do it, in other words, is what he's saying. He makes it clear that he wants them to do this. It should be the natural part of living out their faith, but not to do it in a showy fashion. Not to say, hey, look at me as I give to help others. That's not what Jesus is about in this passage. Now, it's interesting that upon first reading of this, don't forget, this is part of a bigger sermon that Jesus is giving that starts back in Matthew chapter 5, because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something somewhat contrary to what he actually just said in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says this to the same group of people in the same sermon. You are the light of the world. A city on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. Now listen to this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Interesting. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, live in such a way that they can see what's going on. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you're giving in these situations, don't make a show of it. Don't be public about it. Well, how does this get rectified? Because on the one hand, he's saying, be very quiet about it. On the other hand, he's saying, well, no, I want you to live in such a way that they see What's the solution to our dilemma? Well, it's about motive. He says to them in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he lived, they're called to live in such a way that they, people can see their good deeds and glorify the Father. Live in such a way that people see your good deeds so that they glorify the Father. In Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, now be careful that you don't do this in such a way that you're glorifying yourself because as soon as you make all the attention about you, what he says in the passage is very clear. He says, at that point in time, if you'd written out a check for a million dollars, you got all the reward then and there. That's it. We're done. He's going to go on and say that if you actually do it the way he's instructing, there's a reward waiting for us that the Father's going to give. But if we don't do it his way, the moment that we give that money, making a show about ourselves, then Jesus says, you got all that you're going to get right then and there. It's done. Wow. And so you see, it's about our motives. It's about our heart. We're called to point people to our Father. And so our giving to help those who are in need, which we as Christians should be some of the most generous people on the face of the earth, is all about, it's a reflection of the actual heart of our Heavenly Father. And so it's about our character. And it's not about people seeing us, but rather it's people seeing what Jesus is doing both in us and through us. For His glory, not ours. The practice of generous anonymity. God sees both sides of this. He sees what we do in regards to helping those in need, but more importantly, he actually sees our heart when we are doing the giving to help those in need. Jesus makes it clear that God sees what we do and then doles out rewards that are from his good hand. 
Well, he says in verse 4, so that you're giving maybe in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's interesting that the, I read through all kinds of commentators talking about this, and no one knows exactly what that seems to mean. What is the reward that he's going to give us? We don't know. But let us just trust that our Father, who knows both us and what is best for us, will know what is best to reward us with. Later on in the same sermon, he encourages us, Jesus does, to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven where things don't get destroyed. Jesus knows, our Father knows, and so this practice of quietly, without fanfare, helping those in need comes out of our growing, deeper relationship with our Father in heaven. As we grow in that relationship, we'll see more needs in the world in which we live and we'll have more of a heart prompted to want to give to help those people. It's because it's like our Father. Let's move on. Chapter 6, verses 5 through to 8, Jesus says the same thing. In verses 1 through to 4, he says, when you give to help those in need, it's no show. And then he says here in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, when you pray, it's no show. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They love to pray, not because they're connecting with the Father. They love to pray because then people will see them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Let's call this the practice of spiritual solitude. And so when we pray, it's about not showing off, but rather it is about having this relationship with our Father growing deeper in our relationship with Him. You see, it's really hard for us to draw attention to ourselves when we're alone, isn't it? We're alone except for the Father, the one who really does need to see us, is the one who sees what we're doing. And so we grow in that relationship, and we have our roots go down deeper, and we're not worried about whether we're impressing anybody or anybody even knows about this, but what we're wanting is to go farther and deeper in our journey with the Father who loves us and knows us. Wow, what an invitation that we have. Now again, as I pointed out to you in the first part, Jesus says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, well, verse 5 struck me in the same way, because Jesus says, and when you pray... I find that fascinating. That there's not this guilt-inducing instruction of saying to us in this sermon that he's giving to the people, you know what, come on, you've got to be praying more. What the big deal is here is that you've got to be praying more. He doesn't say that. He says, when you pray. In other words, there's this assumption. My daughter is here this morning, and she's seven months pregnant, about eight weeks or so, there's going to be a new child brought into the world. And I'm going to go really out on a limb here and say that when she gives birth to that child, I, as her dad, I'm not going to have to come alongside her and say, now, honey, this is a baby, and what we need to do is we need to communicate with this baby. And so I need to sort of help you out to know how to, to bond with this child so that the child knows that you love them and you're going to communicate with them. Oh, no, she would look at me and say, dad... This is as natural as could be. I love this baby. And you won't be able to stop her from talking to that baby. Why? Because she has relationship with that child. And in a healthy relationship, what do we want to do? We want to communicate with each other. If we were doing premarital counseling, and Pastor Phil had a class of, of, of uh, young-to-be 
husbands and wives gathering together. And, and he said to them, okay, now let's talk a little bit about communication. And, and maybe a husband looked over and said, or a potential husband looked over at his potential wife and said, well, I plan on doing that maybe once a week or once a month. Well, I'll talk to my spouse. Pastor Phil would want to talk further with them. And the girl might start rethinking her idea about this relationship. If a guy says, I want to talk once a week or once a month. Why? Because that's not a healthy picture. And so when you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus is assuming that there's this desire on our part. He says, when you pray, when you talk, when you communicate, it's not a guilt-inducing thing of saying, well, now you've got to do more. It's like, no, because we have this relationship, we want to do this. And so these 21 days of prayer that we as a church set aside, and as was mentioned this morning, it starts tomorrow for us. It's about growing in our healthy relationship with the Father so that we can know him better. And we invite him to reveal what he wants to reveal to us and through us. And so we've got our three requests that we've got on here. And so those won't be all the same by any stretch throughout all of this congregation. And that's a good thing. Because it would really be weird, I think, if all of us had the exact same three things on here. I would say there's a lack of health in that. They should be diverse. They should be different because you and I are at different places in our journey. And God's going to reveal different things that we need to talk to him about in this process. And so it's not about comparing ourselves to somebody else. It's about enjoying the benefit of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father right now. And so we do want you to come and pray. And it's not about having a formula to say, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it. Bang, bang, bang. These are the magic words that we need to say over these 21 days of prayer. No. It's about developing that relationship so it goes down deeper. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be all about a show, but rather go into your closet, into your private place. So we're opening up a room here. Now, you may be alone if you come here. There may be others here. It doesn't matter because it's your time with God that's important. And we come and we embrace it. We want you to enjoy this time. We want you to look forward to this time. Because you and I don't know what our Father has yet to reveal to us during these 21 days. It's an adventure. It's part of a process of us growing deeper in our relationship with Him. It's an exciting thing. God wants to meet with us. Now, this truth that I want us to embrace is just what I just mentioned to you, is that God longs to meet with us. He values us to the point of being available. And so whether you and I are here at 7 a.m. or 11 p.m. during this coming week or some point in time in the middle of all that, the Father's always going to be available. On Tuesday of this week, I'll be flying to Calgary. I've got a meeting with my, my president, and uh, we've set up some meetings across Alberta with other denominational leaders, and, and I've spent over a month on some of these meetings to get them lined up so that we can have our schedules jive. And there's been times when I've sent out emails or phone calls, and people have said, yes, that's good, and then they've had to cancel on me or reschedule on me, and, and I've had to pencil that in and change that and let my president know what's happening and what's not happening. And as I got thinking about that and reading through this portion of Scripture... It dawned on me so clearly that I have meetings all the time that have to be scheduled or rescheduled except for one meeting. You see, I have a Heavenly Father who never, ever reschedules on me. I have a Heavenly Father who never says, oh, Russ, too bad. I mean, tomorrow, you see, I got Pastor Phil down at 7 a.m. And so I can't meet with you then. No. No. It doesn't matter who else is on the agenda. 
when I spend that time and I come into his presence, everything else ceases in that sense of his attention being fully focused on me. It's an amazing thing that he would look at you and I and say, you are so important to me that I will stop everything else and focus solely on you. And at any point in time that you want to have communication with me, I'm available. God will never reschedule you. Isn't that amazing? I just did this this week with a three-year-old. We were downstairs in the basement because there was some painting going on. And she was showing me stuff that she wanted me to watch. And I was watching and I kept thinking, i got to get back up and finish this sermon. It was in my study in my house. And, and she just was having so much fun showing me this stuff. And finally she ran into one room and what I did was I escaped. It was a master plan on my part. And I got upstairs and I started going to work on my message. And all of a sudden I heard the pitter-patter of little feet come up the stairs. And I heard her say, Pappy. And she wandered ultimately into my study. And I said, what? She goes, where did you go? Because I had been watching her and she knew that. And then all of a sudden I had clearly told her by my leaving that you are not as important as what else I'm going to do. And I have a heavenly father who will never ever do that to you. He'll never escape out of a, to another room to ignore you when you're in the midst of something that's very important to you. He's always available to you. He's always ready to listen to you. He cares so much about you. He will never run away from you as I did to a three-year-old two days ago. I apologized to her. And she, being the gentle soul that she was or is, she said, all right, let's go back downstairs and I'll show you what I was doing. (laughs) Okay. And away we went. One commentator said this about this section of the scripture. He said, the most important secret he sees is not the words speaking of God. The most important secret he sees is not the words we say in the privacy of our prayer room, but the thoughts that we have in the privacy of our hearts. You see, I'll never trick God. I won't come running in and somehow impress him because he sees beyond the secret room that I'm in to the secret part of my heart. And that's okay. As Pastor Phil mentioned, perhaps some of us as men need to make that arrangement to be here later this month to open up that secret place of our heart and say, Father, is there something else you need to teach me? Is there some place that I need to to allow you to come in and, and begin to change and rearrange and for me to clean up in my life so that my heart and my character reflect more of who you are as my Father than what my heart and my character presently reflect during these 21 days don't worry about the words that you're saying or how many of them you're even saying because Jesus addresses that as well he says don't be like them because your father already knows what you need before you ask and he knows whether you and I need to have our hearts cleaned up guys and it could be that this month is going to be the month that he's going to invite you to come and journey with him in a new and better way. If it's your turn to sign up, then I encourage you to do that. Set free is a powerful ministry that God has for us. The last part of the section that we're going to look at, and remember it's three chapters where Jesus is preaching a sermon, but in chapter 6, verse 16, he says, and when you fast, again, there's an assumption there, 
He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting again may be seen. All three of those things, when they're giving, they want it to be seen. When they're praying, they want it to be seen. When they're fasting, they want it to be seen. And Jesus says, in each of those cases, that's all they get then, is that they were seen. But he has more to offer us. For he says, they've received the reward in full, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And again, they don't know what that all means. They just know we have a God who knows us and loves us. I'd encourage you to pick up this piece of yellow paper if you're at all interested in this area of fasting. I would encourage you to be interested in this area of fasting. It's a great discipline in our hearts and in our lives. It has the uh, opportunity to impact us in a deeper way to go into our relationship with the Father in a deeper sort of fashion. And so, but there's some good instruction here that you should read through to look at and say, okay, what is it that God wants to do? And how can I take some perhaps baby steps or some bigger steps in this area of fasting to, to deny myself some things so that I can grow deeper in my relationship with my Father? I encourage you. Be part of it. As we get ready this season as a church family to embrace this adventure of prayer, we may simply ask the question, well, why bother? Why bother going through this process of praying and fasting? Why, why bother going through the effort of maybe coming here and, and arranging with some friends in my small group to come and, and spend this time in prayer? What good is it going to do me? Well, I've tried to make it clear during this message that it's not about showing off by any stretch of the imagination but it's about growing deeper in our relationship with our Father that he invites us into. One last picture that I have for you is I'm going to use Jasmine as part of my illustration. All right, Jasmine has a cup right here, and I'm going to take this bottle of water, and I'm going to fill this cup up, and we're just going to fill it right up very full, and, so, and then we're just going to keep it right there very full, and then I'm just going to show Jasmine that if she doesn't hold that carefully, oh, oh, that's terrible. Now, you may ask Jasmine, why did the water spill out? And the answer might quickly be, well, because he jostled my arm and made it spill out. But let's think deeper than that. What was in the cup when it spilled out was water. If there had been coffee in the cup, coffee would have spilled out. If there had been tea in the cup, tea would have spilled out. You can think of whatever liquid you want, but whatever was in the cup was what was going to come out once she was jostled. You see, from our life standpoint, we are going to be jostled in 2018. There are going to be things that are going to happen in our lives that we maybe didn't want to have happen. And our lives are going to get bumped and at that point, when the bump happens, when the jostle happens, when the pain takes place, what's in the cup of our lives is what's going to come out. And so if you've got rage and anger, if you've got bitterness and unforgiveness, that's what's going to come out of the cup of your life. But if you've got peace and joy, if you've got forgiveness, then those are the things that are going to come out of the cup once you are jostled in ways that you didn't want to be jostled. You see, the choice that you and I get to make is what's going to come out. And by spending time with our Heavenly Father, what we are doing is allowing Him to pour into us so that when those hard moments come and we are jostled, then He's already prepared us by His pouring into us that when we're jostled, 
his good is going to come out. These 21 days of prayer are not just simply a religious exercise. They're foundational for our lives, getting deeper in our relationship with him so that whatever may come in the coming weeks, months, and year, our God is in the process of preparing our hearts so we're ready for what he wants to accomplish in us and through us. We're going to call the band to come on back up and close off our service this morning, but let me pray for us as we do that and as they come. Father, this morning we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you don't want us to be all about showing off, but rather you want us to have a deeper relationship with you. You want us to grow. You want us to understand the character issues of having our hearts shaped by our Heavenly Father, even through some of the tough times, these are good things for us. And Lord, we don't know what all is going to unfold in these 21 days, but we do know it's clearly an opportunity for us to bow before you, to come before you, and to allow you to pour into us your character and your heart. And Father, this morning, if some of this just seems somewhat unclear to us because we don't have that relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, then again, we ask that you would make that clear to us and reveal to us our need of asking Jesus to be our Savior. And then, Father, we look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us in these coming days. Prepare us even today and through these moments that... You would find in us hearts that are longing to be more like you, Father. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.